I always believe that democracy is a two-way street. It's up to you to pay attention. And, and it, then it's up to your elected officials to share as much information as they can. Welcome to the GovGab Radio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of another episode. And on this one, I'm going to introduce you guys to the mayor of Durango, Colorado, Sweetie Marbury. Um, had a really lovely chat with Sweetie. Um, just a very positive um, and, and really optimistic individual. Um, it was really cool to hear her perspective on a lot of things. And I think you guys will absolutely enjoy her stories, how she got involved. Um, in the city government many years ago and uh, and stayed involved throughout because she just has a passion for a lot of this stuff. So um, really enjoyed the chat with her. I think you guys will absolutely enjoy this interview as well. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat with Mayor Sweetie Marbury. Mayor Marbury, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about the community there because I know a lot from the standpoint of, and I think I, when we first connected, you know, I told you my dad's lived out there for a lot of years. So it's kind of near and dear to my heart. And as we start talking with a lot of, you know, mayors and, and city administrators across the country, I'm always intrigued by, you know, how folks actually get into their the local government politics and and when that kind of sparked in, in, in their brain, so to speak, like, hey, this is something I want to be a part of. So I'm wondering if for you, if we can start there, um, when did the idea, and maybe it was just recently, maybe it was a long time ago, when did the idea kind of fester in your mind that you wanted to be involved in the community more? When did that start for you? Actually, it was 1987. Um, I live in an older part of town, and at that moment in time, the, the former uh, city manager wanted to sell a little neighborhood park. And I had gone down there as a single girl to play in the park. We have a beautiful creek that runs through it, and the ducks come in and land. And after I married and had a child, I took my child to that park to play in. And I thought it was a terrible idea, so I started going to city council meetings and uh, campaigned to save the park, which I did, and also raised money to refurbish it, which I did. And because I had attended so many meetings, I found that I was intellectually um, attracted to it and became a city council junkie. So I was supported to, uh, appointed to different boards and commissions over the time. I've been on land use code development and accessory dwelling units. I've been on the park and forestry boards, the established neighborhood design review board and uh, dealing with a lot of land use code issues. And so I just kept going over the decades and um, participated and went to different charrettes and uh, different, all kinds of meetings. And I found that uh, I spoke at the podium and I was encouraged to run and my the window of my life opened up. How's that? Because you have to have that window open up for you when you know you can dedicate the time to it. And I made that decision in 2010. And I started knocking on doors in 2010. And 
announced that I was running for city council in January, Martin Luther King Day on 2011. And it's a short window for a city council in Durango. You can declare like in January and the, the ballot uh, hits like April the 2nd, let's say. And it was 20 below. And I was out knocking on doors and had to get up and go to work the next day. <laughs> so um, that's what you do. You know, if you're on a run for city council, you never know what the weather is going to be like. But that's one of my memories, 20 below, 8 o'clock at night, knocking on doors. And uh, I loved every minute of it. And when, that's kind of how I became involved, uh, decided to run for city council. Yeah, and that's obviously an interesting path there as you went through where you almost, you probably had no idea. And it's like, oh, this park, okay, I'm going to start getting involved here. Um, what was in the early days that you remember? Because I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm wrong, you maybe had some idea, like you, you know, everyone has some idea, like what does the government do? Or, you know, what do they, why do they do this? What was the perception change for you when you actually started to get involved in the committees? Because I think there's a lot of um, folks out there that, you know, that want to run or want to be involved, yes. but they're hesitant, maybe because of certain stereotypes or what have you? Well, there's a, a huge amount of personal time that you give up because as a city councilor, we are, uh, we are liaisons for different boards. And then uh, you are asked to go to many different kinds of meetings for the city or to represent the city. And in fact, I was just at one yesterday called Build a Better Colorado. and um, there were active, actively involved people from across the different sectors of my community. There were probably at least 50 of us there. And so um, it's a lot, it's a huge time commitment and also working with large budgets that the city has to work with uh, in good times and bad, you know, fat times and lean times, the budget still has to balance. And working with the different uh, staff, we have excellent staff in Durango absolutely top quality experts in their fields from parks to uh, streets operations so it's um, when you lift the curtain once you get on city council it's a huge amount of your personal time you go to the grocery store and expect to spend hours there because people will come up and talk to you which i encourage by the way and phone calls at home tremendous amount of emails must be answered and um, and then working with budgets. So it's not, you know, if you went in thinking you're going to make this one item your, your flagship, you're wrong. City Council deals with, in Durango, a tremendous amount of different issues. And so you have to have a big, a big picture, not just a, not just an agenda, a personal agenda. Okay. What's, pro what's probably been the, the biggest challenge, or I guess, unspoken challenge, I guess, if you will, for, for taking the position? And it could be for the city council, it could be mayor, et cetera. Um, challenges come in all shapes and sizes. What you learn is that you can't please everyone, whether it's building a trail in their neighborhood or uh, passing a marijuana ordinance. In 2014, um, Colorado voted for marijuana in 2000 and 2012. And so on city council, it was quite contentious from people coming and shaking their finger at us that we we're all going to go to hell because we're going to allow, you know, marijuana stores. And then there were the marijuana supporters of 
opening businesses. And we treated it like a business. And we did have a moratorium for about a year so that we could look at the state uh, regulations. And of course, uh, you know, we're, we know that uh, we didn't make a lot of people happy because they wanted it to open up sooner, but yet we took our time, developed good regulations, and we have zero problems with the marijuana shops in Durango. And that's called good planning. And so that was, that was a contentious issue. Uh, vacation rentals have been contentious issues, accessory dwelling units, uh, changes. I, I think change is hard for some people. And they want it, they want life to stay the same, but you know life is fluid. And when you live in a vibrant com uh, community like Durango, you have all kinds of fresh ideas that come in. Um, when I first came here, if you were from Texas, that was a bad name. And then if you were from California, that was a bad name. And now I'm happy to say that there's such a diversity of, of demographics that have moved to Durango that I don't think anyone uh, puts a label on you anymore. But uh, I, I did see that in the early 70s about where you were from. And, you know, I talk funny, okay? So uh, I grew up in Texas. I came to ski in Colorado, and I never went home. There you go. Well, you have a very positive attitude. So, does, I mean, it's it's awesome <laughs> just refreshing talking to you. Um, because well, I like your, you. I like your outlook on, on some things. So let me ask you this, what, what are, and, and again, you might, might've been some that you just mentioned, but are there one or two decisions you've been very proud of, um, in kind of your time council and mayor? Absolutely. Um, we worked very hard to have our new sewer, uh, facility. It's the largest project in the history of Durango. It was a bond issue. We have a sewer plant. It was in need of improvements the state said fix it or we're going to shut you down and that would have meant no new um, uh, projects for the city of durango we were under kind of a time frame with the state of colorado so the former city council that i was on we all worked very hard uh, to vet moving it down the road or keeping it where it is and i am i'm a believer in keeping it where where it is remodeling it at, it, it would have been a $40 million increase to move it down the road. But, and that's really not acceptable in terms of what you'd have to charge your residents. So uh, the former city council campaign, we all worked hard bringing different uh, facets to that issue, and it passed. And um, I'm very happy about it. I'm very happy about our 2015 renewal of our sales tax for parks and trees and trails. We worked very hard on it. Just recently, um, well, Lake Nighthorse opened. Um, Lake Nighthorse was called the Animus La Plata Reservoir. And it was really initiated probably 75 years ago about a water storage for uh, this community. I, we live on the Animus River and we get our water, some of it from the Animus River, but also we have water rights from the Florida River, which really is the water of Durango. We have wonderful water. And um, the pioneers recognized that the water was going downstream and we needed to store it. So they worked very diligently through the 70s to get the dam built. Well, part of the promise was there would be recreation. And then the state of Colorado did not have the funding to open another state park. 
So there it sat in limbo. And when I came on uh, city council in 2011, one of the first things people said to me was, when is Lake Night Horse going to open up? Well, it meant a lot of negotiations with uh, the Native American tribes and with the Bureau and with the city saying that we would run the recreation. And there were no other uh, agencies that stepped up. Otherwise, it would just have been a lot of water with a gate on it. And so now it opened last year uh, when I became the mayor. And there's fishing, there's swimming, there's uh, paddle boarding, kayaking, um, sail sailing. There's a sailing club out there. And the fish are at least four feet long. So you must come fishing and go to Lake Night Horse. Uh, I'm very proud of it. And our another venture that I'm very proud of is single stream recycling. Durango had had recycling, but you put it out in different buckets. And so when I came on board, I recognized the advantages of single stream recycling. And I'm very pleased to say that it's a part of a way of life now in Durango. And uh, that's some of the some of the topics that I'm really pleased about: uh, affordable housing, accessory dwelling units, uh, like night horse. There, there's so many issues that. No, that's well. And how do you guys you how, do you how do you prioritize them? Um, knowing like, hey, th this is an initiative we want to work on now versus wait a year. Well, city council sets priorities uh, every year. You set your priorities. Um, we have had, because we were under the gun with the state of Colorado about the sewer plant, that was a priority. And you recognize that, you know, do you remodel? Do you keep it where it is? And um, some people were not happy with that decision, but the city council vetted all the issues, looked at moving it and said, oh my gosh, $90 million, who could afford to live here? So that became a priority. And I'm, I'm happy to say that it's on time and on budget. It will open this August. And then the park where it sits, because it sits in a park, Santa Rita Park, that that will undergo a, a remodel in, in the next couple of years. And we'll see soccer fields and picnic areas. Um, so it's I'm quite pleased with it. And I have to share one more thing with you that I'm really honored. In October, um, as the mayor, I was asked to come and address the VFW, the Vietnam veterans, a kind of a welcome home for the boys of Vietnam. And at that moment in time, many veterans spoke about their experiences in Vietnam. It was very personal. And one young man spoke about his father. His name was Larry Valdez. And Larry Valdez grew up in Durango, and he was a Durango High School graduate. He went to Vietnam in 1968 and won the Silver Star. And he came home and he raised his son as a single father. Well, I listened to Larry Valdez Jr. speak about his father and I was very moved. They grew up in a part of town that we now call Santa Rita Park. That was where Hispanic community lived and thrived. And so I went back to staff and said, I want to make this name change from Santa Rita Drive to Larry Valdez Way. And so the staff worked on it over the months. And that meant working with CDOT, 
to make the name change because it does involve um, a CDOT highway, 550 and also Highway 3. And just recently, on March the 19th, uh, Larry Valdez Jr. and Vietnam veterans came to City Council, and we, um, we made that name change. And so, you know, you can make a difference. So the name, the maps will be changed. CDOT will be installing the signs. Uh, probably before Memorial Day, and that's that's that was really important to me that I could make a difference and honor uh, a local boy because I believe when you honor one veteran, you honor all veterans. That's a so really neat story. No, that's a really cool that you did that. That's awesome. Well, I'm just saying that I'm I'm very honored that I can make a difference. Well, so, and obviously there's some things innate in you that, you know, you want to kind of be that, that leadership, that role model, being able to help out, you know, around the community and what have you. Why did you ultimately decide, or maybe it was just like, all right, I got to do this from going from the city council to the, the role of mayor? Um, the charter of 1912 actually dictates how the mayor is selected. You run for city council and you run every, you can run, you, you are have four years, and then you can choose to run again. The top vote getters in Durango, we are a home rule city, um, the top vote getters become the mayor. So the two candidates that were elected on April the 2nd, both of those people will become a, a mayor of Durango. In two years, in 2020, there'll be another election. There'll be three seats open. Only two of those three new councilors will become the mayor. So um, it's a position that you don't have to run for. You know when you get elected what your destiny will be, and you take that. You carry a lot of weight on your shoulders as the mayor because there are many, many functions you go to, and high school graduations, college graduations, middle school, um, academic invitations. Um, you're always on the go. I mean, some days I work six days a week as the mayor of Durango. And other days I just maybe work five. So um, it's a lot of work being the mayor of Durango. If you do it the way I do it, I put it like that. Were there Was there anything you did to prepare then, knowing that you were going into that role in a period of time? Were there certain things that maybe predecessors kind of gave you some insight to start doing or things you saw? How did you prepare knowing what the role was going to entail? Well, I had been going since 1987, and I saw a lot of mayors in Durango. I've, I started voting in 1976 in Durango. And I'm very pleased to say that more women have stepped up to the plate to run for city council. So I, Maxine Peterson, for example, was a mayor, the only woman back in the 60s. I paid attention to what, to what other mayors have, have other women on city council. And um, watching them, and of course I was very fortunate to work with Christina Renderly, a former mayor. And you learn from your role models. I mean, I think that's how life is. You pay attention. She was a champion at answering. The protocol is the mayor takes all the lead on all the emails. Well, she answered all those emails. You learn this is this is the role. Um, she participated in so many community events as the mayor, just as I have done. And um, I believe that's 
what you should be doing. You do the right thing. You know, John Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I grew up with that and I believe in it. And my mother raised us to be participants in our community. She was my first role model. And I'm really following in her footsteps. And there were women that came before me and there will be women that come after me. And I have gone out and taught third grade municipal government at the elementary schools. I've taught municipal government at one of our local high schools. And I always try to encourage people, boys, girls, to, to think about participating in their local government because they can, because they can. And, um, and I've had little girls say to me, I'm going to be the mayor of Durango one day. I love it. I love that. So um, <laughs> that's what you do. No, that's that's great to hear. And I'm glad you're getting out there. Yeah, speaking the good word on it um, to, to kind of promote that to the youth. What are some things you talk about your um, obviously, you know, being almost a full time job, right? You're there a lot. Um, you have a lot of, you know, priorities with that. Is there anything you do to manage your time? Is there any like habits that you've formed over the years to to prioritize things and make make your day so it's just not scattered throughout? Well, th- thank you for asking that. I'm an early riser. And sometimes I'm up at 3.30 or 4. And so the first thing I do is come and fire up my computer and look at emails and try to answer them in in a timely um, manner. Um, I am reading different reports that come in. I'm emailing the staff. Uh, When I, I was a school teacher for 37 years, and I believe that you learn to structure your time as a school teacher. and that's what I've done all my life. And so I send out emails early, uh, get up, get ready, uh, read all the reports, read the preparation. There's a great deal of information that comes in on Friday from the staff preparing you for the following Tuesday. I have mayor's meetings every Monday at 1030 with the staff. And we go over issues and problems and concerns and projects so that I believe one of our goals is communication. So we want to communicate as best we can with our residents and also knowing what the issues are that are challenging for the city of Durango. So you just uh, line out your day. I have a big calendar. I'm looking at it right now. And so um, I go, I live by this calendar. And in fact, I'm only working five days this week for the city of Durango. How's that? <laughs> taking taking a little time off here on the <laughs> this week. I a get little. Saturday and Sunday off, I think. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Mary, you mentioned uh, some, uh, the word challenge a minute ago. I- I'm curious, you know, always looking forward, um, kind of, you know, what what do you guys feel maybe is the biggest challenge you're anticipating in the next, you know, couple of years? Um, with the city of Durango? And and are there measures you guys are trying to do to prepare for that or get ahead of it? Absolutely. Um, The next city council will face a water treatment plant. Our water treatment plant is 65 years old. And it's hanging on by a shoestring and some bubble gum. And so a few years ago, the city council had a water and a sewer rate study. 
And it was very painful because the rates had not been raised in decades. The, one, the city council that I was on had to raise the rates. And of course, that didn't make anybody happy when you raise their rates. And so um, that was difficult and challenging. And we had to raise them dramatically to play catch up. And now we're just on kind of maintenance uh, of a schedule. And we were doing that in, in anticipation for having the money to pay for this sewer plant because we were able to pass the bond and our sewer rates are paying for the, for the sewer plant. In the future, Durango will need another water treatment plant. And as we speak, staff has been looking for a site for that water and it's coming out of Lake Nighthorse, which is fed by the Animas River. And so we need to be prepared for drought. We have a drought plan in the city of Durango and the, the next water treatment plant will secure that we will have enough water um, to take care of the residents and the growing businesses that we have in the city of Durango. Because we're growing. We're growing all the time. You know, as I said, Durango is a vibrant community. People love coming here. We will have, on any given day, 20,000 extra people at an event. And um, that means, you know, that means water is being consumed, or the hotels are having showers, or the restaurants are flushing their toilets. Um, you have to be prepared, and you have to understand the dynamics of a vibrant town that continues to grow. The population of Durango is 18,500. But on any given day, there's probably 35,000 people in our community. CDOT has made major investments in my community. There's been a reconfiguration in 2014 when I was the mayor that joins Highway 550 and Highway 160. Uh, and it took time. And people were kind of grouchy because, oh, my gosh, they had to wait in line for seven minutes. You know, traffic didn't move. But um, it's a it's – a, a configuration that that intersection sees about 35,000 cars moving daily through there. It's it's probably the biggest, uh, the busiest exchange on the western slope. And then that means people are coming through Durango, people are working in Durango, the county has grown. Um, so it's, it's part of being that challenge uh, when you're on city council. Because sometimes things are done to the community from the state, for example, and you have some input into it. And sometimes you uh, people don't understand it's not the city of Durango that's digging up the street. It's the state of Colorado. For example, we have at 17th, 22nd, and 32nd, the state of Colorado is investing about $600,000 to make it safer for pedestrians to cross the street new lights, new configuration, and they were diligent working through our heavy, heavy winter here. So there's, because State Highway 550 runs through, we call it North Main, um, there's been major improvements into our community by the state of Colorado. It's a great place to live and work. Come see us. It, it is a beautiful place. I've been there several times and uh, I love every wonderful. minute of it. Good. What um? Good. How do you how do you communicate that with the the citizens, or even if it's, you know, 
tourists that are coming in um, for a, a short period of time that, hey, these changes are happening, but they're for the betterment of the community. Is there a way that you're able to communicate that or is, is that just expected well, maybe? That we're, we're very fortunate that the city of Durango has DGov, our own television station, and it beams to Cortez, Dolores, Toyoc, to Bayfield. You can pick it up on an antenna or cable in the Animas Valley. Um, it runs continuously at the library, for example, city council meetings. Uh, it replays uh, about four times a day for two weeks, the city council meetings. And then the mayor does a snapshot of nine minutes the very next day. So if you don't want to watch all of city council, I can give you a snapshot of what happened at city council. We also have Facebook pages and Twitter. And for example, during the 416 fire, um, we had thousands of people paying attention to the Facebook page from all over the United States, uh, watching what was happening when the fires were going on last summer. So we tried to do the best we can. We work with the newspaper. In fact, I just got off the phone from a Durango Herald reporter. And we also work with the Durango Telegraph. I've been on the radio many times. There's another television um, station here in Durango. We've been on their television. So we try to get out in the community and um, share our knowledge. And, you know, it's a two-way street. As a citizen, you have a responsibility to stay informed also. And some people do and some people don't. So um, I always believe that democracy is a two-way street. It's up to you to pay attention. And, and it, then it's up to your elected officials to share as much information as they can. I write a column. The mayor writes a column for the Durango Herald once a month. And you have about 750 words to share whatever you want. And as I said, I go to the grocery store and it takes me hours sometimes to get out because people will stop me and ask me questions, which is great. You know, that's another one-on-one -on -one communication. And when we were working on 1A, uh, which was our raising our sales tax to pay for our streets, curbs, gutters, alleys, and sidewalks, our street projects, I went door to door, knocking on doors, talking to people. Because, you know, they live a busy life. And so not everyone watches, um, television, not everyone reads a newspaper. So that face-to-face -face communication is what I also try to do as the mayor of Durango. I was um, downtown yesterday with my mayor button on, shaking hands with people from Arizona that had been traveling through Durango. Last summer, I was shaking hands with anyone that looked like a tourist, thanking them for coming to our community. There was a busload of seniors that unloaded at the Strader Hotel from Massachusetts. I shook hands with every one of them and said, thank you so much for coming to our town. Uh, because I believe that your elected officials are out in the community uh, talking about issues, but also sharing what a great community we live in. I feel very blessed to live in Durango. Very fortunate to live here. And yeah. I want to share that with other people. No, and, and and that's awesome, the things that you guys are, are doing there. I'm curious, do you have a chance to share a lot of that wisdom or things that have been working well or vice versa, other communities around the state 
Um, do you guys ever get a chance to get together to mind meld or, or share ideas? Is, is there any opportunity for that? Or are you yes, guys just so yes, busy with is. what you're doing? Uh, um, once a year, the Colorado Municipal League puts on a conference for about a week. And city councils from all over Colorado go to these meetings and go to classes and share information. I was invited last November to go to Los Angeles to present at the National League of Cities. Um, our uh, way of handling our accessory, accessory dwelling units. I was on a panel of five mayors and they were from all over the United States with different issues. And so about 150 people attended my particular workshop and came up to me and mayors and city councilors because accessory dwelling units, we have a great guidelines for ours. And they were struggling with their town and they wanted to know more information. So I shared it there. Also, I'm really good friends with the city council from Cortez. And the mayor and I are great old friends and many of their city councilors. So we talk frequently. And um, CML also puts on workshops here in Durango as well as like Pagosa Springs. And so we'll travel or in Cortez and we'll travel to different sites to get together the regional city councils and ask questions and share concerns. So yes, we do work regionally together. We sure do. Let me ask you this. What and take it however you want. You can kind of go on a tangent if you want at your call. But is there any advice? Um maybe it's a quote you live by, anything to and, and almost talking to two different groups. So one is other, um, you know, council members, mayors across the country, maybe things that you've learned or things that could be helpful for them, especially maybe they're early in their term or early in their, their uh, helping. And then secondly, for citizens to actually get out there and engage more and, and maybe again, say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to put my hat in the ring to volunteer, whether it's a committee, council, et cetera. I'm curious if you have any advice for either or both of those groups um, that you've learned in your kind of years doing this. Well, for, for city councils, I would say once you get on, you have a steep learning curve because you were sitting in the audience listening and maybe criticizing those folks, but the curtains lifted and there are some challenges for every city council, usually it's money um, and, and projects and how much staff time there really is in the world. Uh, you have limited staff. And so, you know, you can't, you can't expect the staff to do everything immediately. And that's one of the things I've learned as a city councilor. It takes a lot more time than you thought it was going to take to see projects through. And that's, and again, you have to recognize that you don't know everything. You may think you know everything when you run for city council, but guess what, sister? You don't. There's a lot of new information that you are absorbing. And being a good reader is, a, is an absolute necessity. And then for citizens, you just raise your hand and go get involved. Uh, we have boards and commissions for the city of Durango, every, everything from the airport to um, multimodal, parks and rec, the library, it, many different boards. And it's a highly competitive process because citizens are retiring to Durango that have resumes that would knock your socks off. And so 
they it's very competitive. They want to give back. They have been in maybe a, a public arena. Um, they've lived somewhere. They've had a dynamic career, and now they want to participate. And so I would say get involved. Um, come to go to a city council meeting. Sit in the audience. Listen. Go to a study session. Sit in the audience. Listen. Uh, fire up that email to your local city councilors because they will respond if they're good city councilors. You may not like the message, but at least you know you get to put your voice out there. Um, one man told me that we should um, charge more for second homes. Well, gee, that's not exactly legal. You know, charge more property taxes to second homes. Um, that's not legal. But we have um, issues like affordable housing that everybody's concerned about. You want your kids to be able to live here, to work here. And by getting involved, you never, um, it's never a mistake. It's never a mistake to participate, in, whether it's in your local school, in your neighborhood, at a nonprofit. You become so much richer, I believe, when you give back. You know, I go back to that motto of what John Kennedy said when I was probably a sophomore in high school. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And I think a, a lot of times young we get so busy with life, you know, go hiking, go kayaking, whatever, that you forget that. And the cities and the counties, um, they all need you. So your opportunity is there, but you have to, maybe that window hasn't opened up for you yet. But when it does, take it. Go for it. That's what I found out. I was going to city council meetings since 87. I was on different boards and commissions, you know, work days, participate at night. Um, and I did that for several decades, showing up at meetings and raising my hand and going to the podium and speaking. And um, that's a way to participate. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's great advice uh, for everyone. Can I ask you one last question? And just my curiosity, I'm curious if there's a story behind here. How did you get the nickname Sweetie? <laughs> well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, my mother and father married in 1940, and we know the World War came along, and my dad was shipped. He was uh, in a tank, and he went to France and Germany. And so no babies, no babies. And then we came home, he was being, he was gonna be sent to Japan when the war was over, thank goodness. And so I was born uh, in 1947. So they had been married seven years and my dad was so excited about that unborn baby that he started calling that baby his little sweetie. And my dad was a big baseball player, he was a big athlete. And so I had a baseball uniform with Sweetie embroidered on the back of the uniform. And I have a legal name, but no one in the world ever called me that legal name. Um, so I grew up with that name through high school, through college, through work, through uh, relationships. And if you call and you ask for that other girl with the legal name, then you're a stranger. So... Um, uh, my brother's name is Bubba, and he's six foot three. So um, I named him, and my granddaughter,
calls my grandson Bubba. So we have Big Bubba and Little Bubba in my family. You know, and, and everybody has a story about their names. And so I've always encouraged people to look at your own family and discover your your own personal history about how did you get your name. And that's how I got my name from my father. That's really neat. That's a cool that's a cool story. That's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, I mean I, I would have liked to have the name Anne, for example. You know, I mean there's a lot of names out there I, I really like, but uh this is my name and it sometimes it defines you. Uh it's hard to be bitchy with a name like Sweetie, you know. <laughs> so so I try my mother raised me to have good manners. And even if you come at me, which as a mayor, yes, you can be highly. In the last six months, you talk about challenges. I would say in the last six months, uh, there have been a lot of personal attacks from people. And um, I've always responded with facts. That's all I can do. I don't, my mother raised me better to be not polite to people. Um, even when they're being ugly to you. I would I would not want to dishonor the way I was raised. So um, that is the world. My sister says you asked for it when you ran for city council. So there you go. I guess that's the way of the world right now. It wasn't always this way. It, it wasn't this way in 2014 when people would call and complain about the, the construction. Um, they were frustrated, but they were never ugly and that's what I would call it and so that is a challenge um, you do become a target for some people I, don't ask me why I was always raised to be polite you can have a disagreement on issues but you don't attack people personally and that's what I have seen is happening at at my level and certainly it happens at the state level and it certainly happens at the national level so that's been disappointing, and I don't live my life that way. If you want to criticize me, go ahead, you know, but I will only respond with facts. Issues, that's what really city council is about. It's about policy and issues, and as I said, I've learned that you can't please everyone. Well, it's called growing up. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well. Mayor Marbury, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on and chat through kind of your journey and, and some of your insight into local government and what you guys are doing there in the uh, in the great city of Durango, uh, Colorado. So thank it's awesome you. to uh, have thank you on. You. Thank you so much for taking time out. And thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining in this episode. And we really appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave us a quick review, give us a rating. We certainly appreciate any feedback you can share so we can make this podcast better each and every episode. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a phenomenal day. Take care. <music>